You're listening to A Slice of Therapy with me, Alan Parry. So this episode is going to be a little bit different. Normally I'm here on my own, aren't I, chatting away, but this time I thought we'd do something special, something a little bit different. And it's an interview. And the person I'm interviewing is the business author, John Lamerton. And I've chosen John because a lot of what he talks about has a real overlap with the kind of things that I talk about because he's all about building the freedom that comes from having your own business, but doing it without stress. And in terms of the stuff that he talks about and some of the advice that he gives, it really does overlap with psychology, I suppose. And so I thought he'd be a great person to interview. And it turned out that was the case as well. Now, even though John's talking a lot about business, a lot of the tips and advice here can really be applied to life as well. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm sure you will. So this is John Lamerton. So yeah, welcome to the show, John. It's good to have you. You're actually the very first interview on oh, all of the many podcasts I've done, so it's a premiere. Oh, brilliant. I've, I've broken your duck. Broken my duck, yeah. <laughs> and I, I wanted to talk to you about um, the business side of things because, well, three things really. I've, I've read your books. Mm-hmm. I encountered your first one about three years ago, um, and they had an impact on me, so that makes you a good person. But there's two things about you that I think my audience will particularly appreciate. And the first one is you're just an ordinary guy like the rest of us. Yep. You know, you, you, were, you were a humble civil servant, weren't you, before this? And the second thing is your attitude to business is very unlike many of the gurus who seem to want to work everybody into an early grave. So you're, yep. you're all about creating and growing a business without the stress. So for I those am. two final reasons, as well as the impact you've had on 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 me as well i was i was keen to talk to you so welcome fantastic thank you very much yeah i've, I've um <laughs> i've embraced this normal bloke from plymouth mantra mantra now and it's kind of yeah I've, I've lent into it a little bit and yeah the ambitious lifestyle business element of that is what i think most people are drawn to me for is yeah i used to be a hustler i used to do the 100 hour weeks I was building a massive, massive business. My my aim was 150 million pound a year business. Um, 12 members of no, sorry, the other way around. Sorry, 12 million a year business, <laughs> 150 members of staff, yeah. uh, skyscraper with my name on the side, yacht in the harbour, supermodel in my bed, everything like that. <laughs> and it was just I was working all the hours and I was I was doing very well. You know, I in the grand scheme of things, I was doing well, I was making a lot of money. So financially, you're doing well, but what was it? Yeah. What was it like as a human being? Uh, well, you've read my book, so you've seen the picture of me where I look like I've been inflated, um, like the Michelin Man. So I was about five stone overweight. Right. Uh, I picked up all kinds of like skin conditions. Uh, I remember yeah having this rash appear all over my face one year when I was particularly stressed. Yeah. Went to the hospital and they you know sort of looked at it under this massive microscope, and then said to me are you under any stress at all? And I just suddenly started downloading. Oh, yes, let me tell you about it. I've got this member of staff walked out. This person's sleeping with this one. We've lost this key supply. She went, a simple yes or no would have done it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay, you are then. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was 
working myself to the bone because that was what I thought business was about. It was about pulling all-nighters. It was about just working harder than everyone else. That had, I think that's how I got my business off the ground. But I never realized once you're off the ground, you know, if, if you, you've, you're the pilot of a 737, once you're off the ground yeah. and you've been in following your flight path for a good hour and a half, you probably can put autopilot on and have a cup of tea. <laughs> nice analogy, yeah. So how did you how did you actually come to the switch then? What what was the penny that dropped with you where you thought not only do I have to change but there is actually another route? Yeah. Uh for me it was uh, I was sat in an MOT garage here in Plymouth and I had an hour to kill and for me the idea of having an hour where I'm not able to work on my business because I have to sit there and wait for these mechanics to fix my car was horrible so I'm sat there reading uh, Alan Sugar's autobiography. I thought, well, if I can't build my empire, let me just study the guy who I am going to overtake in a couple of years because I'm <laughs> going to be hosting The Apprentice. Okay. <laughs> so I'm sat there reading this book. Right. I'm building the next Amstrad. What do I need to do? I'm, pi- I'm putting myself in Sir Alan's shoes when it was kind of the, the 70s, thinking, right, this is what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, now bear in mind, I've got a three month old baby at home. At this time, I mean, I'm in that new dad mode where everything's wonderful. <laughs> and then suddenly I read this one line in Alan Sugar's book and he went, I never really saw my kids much when they were growing up. Wow. And I went, oh, ah, yeah. Hmm. I'm emulating this guy. This is the guy I'm copying. I'm literally modeling this guy. Yeah. And then something fired in my brain where I went, do you know what? Last time I read Richard Branson's book, there was something similar. And I went I went home and I got out, um, I think it was Losing My Virginity, his first book. Yeah. Sure enough, I skipped to the section. I wasn't really there much for Holly and Sam when they were little. Oh, my God. If I want to be Branson and I want to be Sugar, I'm not going to see my kids. Yeah. And it was like, wow. that's not what I want. It was literally in that moment, I, I, came, I came back and I met with Jason, my business partner. I said, uh, we're, we're ripping everything up. I said, all the business plans, because this was December. We'd just made our business plan for the next year. And I said, I'm ripping up the business plan. We're starting again. I bet you were popular with Jason then. Oh, he was, it was fantastic. He was like, oh, great. Yeah, just, it was one of those, oh, John's on another idea. John's had a little, he's had a read or something. He's got an idea. Here we go. Let's entertain the latest thing. Um, but yeah, we, we I, I said to him, look, we because Jason was a couple of years older than me or ahead of me on the journey so he already had young kids yeah so he understood well I want to be there for the PTA meetings I want to be there for the assemblies the school runs yeah. uh, sports days things like that uh, I was very new to all this um, so it was a bit preaching to the converted with Jason I think it was yeah, that makes sense that's what I want to do that's what I want out of running a business I know because I think he entertained me because I wanted the 12 million pound a year business he thought, well, if John wants to build a £12 million a year business, I'm not going to stop him. But I want to be doing the school runs and everything like that. And sure. around, this would have been about 2009. And there was a little bit of stigma around this term lifestyle business. Because this was what was in my head was I want a lifestyle business. And I remember always watching Dragon's Den. And this is where my my kind of pre-framing of lifestyle businesses comes from because I can always hear, and I can hear him in my head now, Peter Jones sat there going, 
this isn't a real business. I'm sorry, this is just a lifestyle business. It's never going anywhere. I'm out. And he just looked down his nose at these poor entrepreneurs. And I, just, I had that in my mind was like, yeah. if I was sat in front of Peter Jones, he would be sneering at me, telling me I haven't got a real business and that I'm basically just making jam in my kitchen. Yeah. Um, so that seems a big thing to to get over then, because you've been you've been role mm. modeling these people for a while and now you have to exactly. face their sneer. How did you exactly. get over that? Um it was it was actually a chance conversation we had with another of the dragons. Oh wow. So we somehow had got on the radar of Doug Richard, who I think was one of the very early dragons. That's right. And we'd started working with him on a project. And he he didn't use the term lifestyle business, but he coined a phrase about bottom line thinking. And this was just at the time I was making this pivot into kind of, I want to be a lifestyle business. So I, I, I had a little chat with Doug and I said, this bottom line thinking you're talking about. And what he was basically saying was, you know, the big businesses, the business I was building, um, you know, I mentioned it just now, 12 million pounds. Mm-hmm. 12 million pounds was my top line figure. That's how much I was going to turn over. That right. is not how much I was going to take home at the end of it. Bottom line thinking, how much do you want to take home at the end of it? Yeah. <laughs> and he said, well, lifestyle businesses are better than big businesses because they employ bottom line thinking. And you're much better off saying, what do I need to do to generate £150,000 of bottom line profit than you are saying, how do I generate £12 million turnover? He said, because you can generate £12 million turnover quite easily without being profitable. And many, many people do. Um, He said, when you go into bottom line thinking and you have these, what we know, term ambitious lifestyle business you're suddenly focused on margin and experience and customer retention rather than pilot high sell it cheap right he said if you are tesco your margin is just under two percent so if you want to make you know a couple of million quid a year you need to turn over a couple of billion a year just to make that um but if you want to do the school runs and you want to have a couple of nice holidays and you want to earn let's say 80 grand a year and you can get a net profit margin of 40 percent well 200 grand a year will do that can you can you generate 200,000 top line oh yeah yeah i could do that well there you go why work harder okay so this was like (laughs) a, a permission slip so the, the fear was. of one dragon was kind of was was soothed by the permission of another. It was. It was. And I can because then again, I'm kind of picturing this in my mind. I can imagine the two of them having a little ding dong about this <laughs> over the lunch table, over the BBC canteen. Yeah. <laughs> having this argument. It suddenly it was, it was validation because okay, there are such things as lifestyle businesses that aren't making jam in your kitchen that isn't just, oh, yeah, you're never actually going to make any money. You're barely making minimum wage. It was like, no, because I've still got ambition. I still want to grow myself, and I want to challenge myself, and I want to push myself. But I don't need £12 million a year. Even, you know, even if I got 2% <laughs> gross profit on that, that's more money than I need. That's more than I you – and know, why would I need to work those 100-hour weeks – to earn more than I need. 
So what, what was the thinking before that, John? You know, when you were going after the, like the 12 million, it sounds mm-hmm. like a real kind of mindset shift that you're thinking, well, let's just, let's just budget my, my, my needs here. And it sounds like you're not just thinking financial needs, but, you know, time oh, yeah. with your child and all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, uh, so what it, was the thinking before, like when you were aiming for this big I figure? I think before was more. And it was just, how do I get more? Yeah. Uh, how, you know, it was, I was looking at, okay, my earnings are, you know, let's say 60 grand a month. How do I get that to 85? You know, and it, it eight, well, it's the old 83,333 is the magic figure because that's a million pound a year. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I remember having a conversation with actually someone who's now one of our one percenters and kind of has joined me on this journey. He's had kids now. Joining so us one percenter is one of your one percent club, which is a business mentoring thing that you run. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's not based on being in the top one percent of earners or anything like that. It's based on the, the theory of marginal gains that we're yeah. making small one percent improvements every single day, every single week. We're stacking those up. We're compounding those um, to grow our business in a kind of less stressful way. Yeah. Uh, I remember having a chat with this guy probably eek fifteen years ago. No, maybe 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 twelve years ago, and it was the you know it was. January, New Year. What's what's your targets for the year? And I remember posting eighty three thousand three hundred thirty three pounds. And he, I just remember this guy posting, "Snap, me too." What, neither of us needed to earn a million pounds a year. Yeah, none of us probably needed to earn at that point a hundred thousand a year. So, because it was possible, and because we'd seen other people doing it, and I think this is because again, you know take you on a little bit of a very very brief journey in my my evolution i started off as a civil servant you know 10 grand a year mm-hmm. normal bloke from plymouth um start my own business you know I, i'm making just about covering my wage probably earning 15 grand a year um 18 months after starting my business i'm doing six figures profit and all of a sudden i've got it made i i'm i'm the midas touch you know everything right. i touch turns to gold and we'd fly up to London and we'd stay in hotels, first class travel all the way. And we'd meet with guys who would just tell us, oh, you should be doing a hundred grand a month easily. You know, I, this guy over here. So you got caught on a, that hamster wheel of yeah, comparison and, and yep. chasing something, not even know, knowing what yep. it was you were chasing. Because I can tell you of the HGV driver who became a millionaire. I can tell you about the... Lad who worked at, oh, he worked at, worked at Nestle, I think it was. It was a chocolate packing company. And he is now, like, very high up in um, Warner Music. And he's oh, founded wow. his own music label. And I can tell you about the guy who started a wedding gift list company who, two years after I met him, ended up on the Sunday Times Rich List with a net worth of £28 million. These were the guys I was hanging out with at night. <laughs> And I yeah. knew them when they were the HGG GV driver. They were packing boxes in the factory and they were running the little gift list site. And all of a sudden, these guys are multi-millionaires. So, well, I need to be a multi-millionaire too. Yeah, so it almost kind of kicked in an inferiority complex. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. that makes sense. It, it, I'd forgotten where I'd come from. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, actually, you know, what do I need to pay the bills? 12 grand a year does it quite happily at that point in my life i was yeah. you know just married no kids very low mortgage yeah um very low ambitions but ultimately you know you give me 
two grand a month. I was very happy. But the minute I've got two grand a month and someone else is earning 20 grand a month, oh, mine doesn't seem so good anymore. Yeah, and this is a phenomenon, isn't it, where millionaires Mm. are really unhappy because they move into millionaire neighborhoods, but they're at the bottom of that particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So what difference has it made then, John, to switch philosophy and and follow something that's more needs-based? You know, what do I need? What do I want Mm. in my life? What difference has that made? to you as a person it's i think it's the removal of the stress i mean as a person i think my health is the best thing that's happened because i say i've lost all the weight the rashes you know disappeared overnight and i now just feel freer and i'm having so much fun um fun is a big part of my core values and i really really want to enjoy business and i want to enjoy you know the the coaching club we've got we have so much fun there because we don't take ourselves too seriously. And we don't take life too seriously. When you're trying to just build the top line profit higher and higher and higher, you haven't got time for fun. And yeah, yeah it's just, I think it is the stress. It really is. It was just, you know, the, if I wasn't pulling an all nighter because I, you know, I wanted to launch a new project or something like that, I was having a sleepless night. Because I was worried about, oh God, you know, I've just taken on that new £250,000 loan or, oh, we've just opened the second office and take, you know, we've just increased our overheads by 10 grand a month or, oh, we've just lost that supplier and we can't afford to lose that supplier because our margins are so thin. Yeah. And the minute you have that shift to, well, our margins are now, you know, one of our, one of our businesses, our margins are 75%. Yeah. So you know COVID's happened this year we've got a nice wide moat around us to protect us so actually we haven't stressed too much this year that's interesting then isn't it so had you carried on the same path you might have even been out of business now but the fact yeah. that you've you've protected yourself and just gone after what you needed has has really changed things because yeah. if i'd stayed on that path i would probably now be looking at you know certainly you know, getting on to a hundred members of staff, you know, massive, massive overheads. And imagine, you know, having to say to, I don't know, let's say 60 or 80 members of staff, right, you're not allowed in the office. Uh, we've now got to somehow get you all working from home. Uh, we've still got to pay the rent on the office, the rates. Oh my God, what's going to happen there? I would just the stress yeah. there yeah. would have been unreal. Whereas, you know, I had a, probably a day where I metaphorically kicked the dog and went, oh my God, this is awful. You know, oh, what's going to happen? Um, we made a plan. We adapted. We pivoted very, very quickly. You know, the 2020 is the year of the pivot. We pivoted in about three days. Yeah. By the end of March, we were running our coronavirus battle plan. Wow. We couldn't do that with 100 members of staff. Yeah. Absolutely impossible. That would have taken us six months to make the plan. <laughs> so, so what I'm hearing there is that once you actually aim for your needs, it's actually given you a whole load of autonomy and freedom and independence that you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it is that, you know, it's that freedom to spend your time. And, you know, I, I do a lot of investments and I think, I think we're all investors, whether we know it or not, because we've all got a finite amount of time, a finite amount of energy finite amount of money, staffing, resources, attention, anything. We're, we've all got finite resources this. And every day we choose to allocate those resources where we see fit. And some of us 
aren't even thinking about where we're allocating them. We're just doing what we've always been doing. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking as you're talking, John, about your ultimate job description for oh, appears yeah, yeah. in your first book, Big Ideas for Small Businesses. And, and that seems to be like a, a founding principle of this new version of, of mm-hmm. John in terms of how you conduct business. So, so tell us about that because it's, it, it, it sounds like a really, um, it sounds like a really nice way of, of approaching business really. Yeah, definitely. And so what, there's a little story behind this. So I, I used to struggle with confidence and I kept telling myself I'm low on self-confidence. I'm not a confident person. And I, I went to this course like an NLP course with this chap and with, with the sole aim of I'm going to sort this confidence thing out, get that nailed once and for all. I've optimized everything else in my business. I'm now going to get this nailed. Yeah. Good insight. Yeah. And it was like, I think it was a two day course or three day course. And in one of the breaks, he said to us all, right, I'm going to set you a little challenge. Uh, You've all got these little pads pads of paper here. Um, during the break, I want you to think of, he said, there's two questions I want you to answer. I want you to answer first and foremost, what is your ultimate job description? If you could choose whatever you do, what would you do? Write that down, that job description. He said, and the second question I want you to answer is how far are you from that? What needs to happen to close the gap between where you are now and where you want to be? And so I, I start jotting down. We've probably got, I don't know, 10 minutes for this break. And he's just sat at the front of the room, you know, doing his paperwork or whatever. I'm jotting down. And then all of a sudden, after about seven and a half minutes, I, I glance up, I catch his eye, and he's, he looks quizzingly at me because I have the most amazing beaming smile on my face. <laughs> like, oh, I've got it. And, it, and he, he came straight to me after, get, after the break. He was like, John. What happened there? Because I saw that, and he literally saw the light in my eyes. Yeah, and he said, "Go on and tell us." You and I said, "Well, my my ideal job description is to do what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want, if I want." And he said, "Ah, oh, that's brilliant." He said, "What's um?" So the second question, he said, "How far are you from that?" I went, "I'm about ninety eight percent there." Right. And that was the bit that caused the smile. It was like, my God, I thought my gap was massive. I thought what I needed to do was huge, sweeping changes. I needed to do what I'd done earlier and rip up the business plan and start again. And what I actually needed to do was a few little tweaks, a few little 1% tweaks and changes here and there, because I now know what I actually want. And I know how to get there. And I know how to get there is about seven steps. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a couple of difficult conversations. It's changing a few processes and it's sticking my flag in the ground and saying, I'm working from home from now on, guys. Uh, I don't work Wednesdays. Uh, I'm not available between this time and this time. Uh, these are the boundaries. Other than that, I'm available for you. And we're still growing this business and we've still got ambitions. But staking the ground, this is what's happening. It's interesting that you say that because it's funny, like even in sort of therapy, people will come with a problem and I'll often ask, you know, what is it you would like instead? And we'll flesh that out in some detail. Yeah, yeah. And then what I like to ask is, you know, if if that that you've just described is a 10, 
Mm. And zero is the furthest away from that. Where are you up to at the moment? Yeah. And it's, I mean, sometimes people say zero, obviously, because sometimes people are really struggling. Yeah. But they generally say something more than zero. And then I, in that gap between zero and whatever the number is, yeah. you find that people realize that they're already on their way. They might not be 98% of the way there. Yeah. But they're already on their way and they've already got resources that have got them to that point that they can then reuse yeah. to keep on moving forward. It is. And I think it's so many people do believe it, is, it needs to be um, life-changing. Hollywood, I think, has done that to us. It's just say, yeah. you know, you, no, I'm sorry, but you need to have the complete pivotal experience. You know, the aha moment. I mean, yes, I had my aha moment in the MOT garage. Yeah. But, you know, sitting in that NLP session, that was a gap of five years between then and then. So as far as I was concerned, things were going okay. Um, but, you know, I just had another issue. And then all of a sudden, boom, actually, no, this is really the way I want to live my life. So people listening to this now um, might be thinking, well, I can see how that's possible for you, but is that really possible for me? And I don't know, maybe people are are up against it with COVID or maybe they've never, maybe they're in a job and they're thinking, well, I would like to do that, but it isn't possible for me. What would you say in your experience, not just from your own experience, but given that you mentor so many people who've created um, businesses that meet their needs, what what would you say to someone who says, I'd like to do that, but I don't think it's possible? Yeah. I, I would say you're talking to the, the normal bloke from Plymouth here who 20 years ago picked up a copy of Internet Marketing for Dummies to launch his first business. So my first business was an internet marketing company where I knew nothing about marketing. I knew nothing about running a company and I didn't even own a computer. Okay, and I just self-taught myself everything i made mistakes after mistakes and so you were the internet marketer without the internet yeah absolutely i had no internet <laughs> I, I literally just had to figure everything out myself and this is the guy who as i said to you was low on confidence 20 years ago my god i was so low on confidence well how did you overcome hey, that then john what was the key for you because i think that's a common thing isn't it people hmm. think well you know, part of them thinks, well, I could do that. And then there's that other part that says, oh, God, I couldn't do that. And it's a confidence yeah. thing. It is. So, and, yeah, how did you overcome it? Um, for me, the, the confidence thing was, I think that, I can't think who, I want, I, want, I want to give credit where it's due, but I cannot honestly think where this came from. But I'd heard this line, um, you have all the confidence you need. And I just sort of cemented that up here and went, okay. And it probably came from around about the same time as this NLP chap, because yeah. he kept him telling us to embrace just outside your comfort zone. And it's one of the concepts I talk about in, in the first book is right. your hula hoop of yeah. comfort and control and doing things that are just outside. And I think it probably would have been about the same time because I would have been like, for example, going to talk to a stranger go back seven years very very scary for me the idea of chatting to you now but oh my god i don't know about this well, i'm, I'm um, quite scary aren't i that's the thing <laughs> well exactly <laughs> <laughs> um and i I'd, I'd go to talk to someone or i'd think about talking to someone and what i would have done two weeks earlier is gone that's really scary yeah. and what i did then was you've got all the confidence you need to say oh yeah you're right 
Yeah. That's all you, that's as far as this conversation needs to go at this moment, but you've got all the confidence you need to do this next thing. So that and phrase, it, you've got all the confidence you need, it, that mm. meant the, it changed your sense of having to be super confident. You only needed to be just oh, confident yeah. enough in for yeah. this situation. Yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, you asked me to like think of a picture in my mind of confidence and I'm picturing, you know, this, this permatans, you know, <laughs> Hugo Boss suited guy strutting out of a private jet. You know, he's got a yeah. supermodel's arm and he's muscular and he, you know, he's full of swagger. And it's like, that was, to me, that was confident. And if you're talking about the scales of where are you, I am nowhere near that. Right. So I can't get there. Whereas you have all the confidence you need is me, but a little bit more confident. Me, yeah. but I'm going to open my mouth. Me, but I'm going to pick up the phone and make that sales call so it's the difference between john and john plus Mm. it's just that little plus that stretches you a little bit yeah exactly it's it's me just outside of that hula hoop yeah because i can visualize that i can see me doing that one step outside your comfort yeah exactly because at the moment i can't visualize the second step i can't see me doing that yes i don't need to do the second step yet well, that's a nice segue, actually, because one of the things that I like about your approach to business, and it can be applied to life, I think, in any project that we do, whether it's it's a financial one or not, is this idea of small steps. I mean, I use that in my practice as well. You know, mm-hmm. what's the next smallest step? What would that look like? Because I think once we take a tiny step forward, the whole world can change, can it? You know, oh, one yeah. tiny step forward and you're around a corner and everything looks different. And so that seems to be your your kind of business action philosophy in terms of like the practicals of how you make it happen. Mm. It seems to be like your club is called the 1% Club and they're like 1% incremental steps forward. So I wonder if you could share that because that might help people who, who are interested in this get a better sense of how it's doable. Absolutely. Um, the, where this came from for me was... Um, a few years ago, I went and saw Sir Chris Hoy speak. So Olympic uh, gold medal winning cyclist. Yeah. Which, if you were able to time travel and you went back to about 2008 and said those words, British Olympic gold medal winning cyclist. Didn't happen, did it? They would just say, that's an oxymoron. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Brits are no good at cycling. <laughs> uh, where are we now? Like eight of the last nine Tour de France winners have been British. Um, the reason for that is this process called marginal gains, whereby the team GP director, Sir David Brosford said, look, we're nowhere near these guys. The rest of the pack, the peloton, if you like, are up here. They are in the distance again, where the, where the gap is, we can't close the gap. And we never, we keep trying to close the gap by copying what the winners are doing. (laughs) And we're not as good as them. So we can't use their strategy because it isn't working for us. We can't get 100% better. We can't just get bigger leg muscles. We can't just pedal faster. We can't just magic up more stamina. But what we can do is we can get 1% better at 100 things. And if we, and then I think Dave Rose have figured out that actually, if you, um, like a radial transistor, you take all the parts apart 
and you make all of them a little bit better and you put them all back together again, they end up more than the sum of their parts. Right. So to get 100% improvement, you don't need to improve 100 things by 1%. You actually need to improve 67, no, sorry, 69 things by 1%. So 69, 1% improvements, all compounded because each one stacks up leads to a 100% gain. Okay. And this so, is where we've... Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, carry on a sec. I'll, I'll come back to what I was about to say. Good, good. Yeah, this is where we've taken the business side of things now and said to our, our 1% Club members, look, let's say you stack up one 1% gain in your business. Now, that could be you know making your email open rates a little bit better, improving your Facebook ads, training that girl on reception who never puts it through to the right... Um, extension anything like that one one percent gain per week and you do that for two years and you have three you know i'd say you know three months off a year two years you've doubled your business but all you've done is these little one percent gains you're not doing the big sweeping overarching movement um the tour de france guys did not you know, I mean, the optimizations they did, they painted the floor of the um, of the workshop white so that they could see when the dust particles were getting on the floor. Right. They employed a surgeon to come in and show the entire team, not just the riders, but the entire team, how to wash their hands properly. That's now, useful now, isn't it? I was going to say, it's 2020. We all know how to do that now. <laughs> We've all learned that this year. Um, they yeah. took their own individual sleeping kits, Um because they figured you're doing Tour de France, you're staying in hotels, your you know prime uh, optimized athletes are sleeping on a different mattress every night, and they're not sleeping optimally. So let's take you know Chris Hoy has a particular body shape. So let's take his mattress, his pillow. He will sleep on that every single night. So actually, they were improving. You know, what we call it one percent gains, but some of them, you know. Painting the floor white, that might be a 0.3% gain. Stopping infections in the team, 2% gain. Chris Hoy getting a good night's sleep the night before a tournament or three weeks before a tournament, that could be a 5 or 6% swing. But the thing is as well, and I know this from from my own work as a therapist, that you're talking about 1% improvements, but you're not talking about 1% outcomes there. You know, I I know, for instance, that... You know, somebody might have a journey ahead of them in terms of what they're wanting to achieve in terms of their therapy. And they'll take it one step at a time. But quite a lot of those steps will will be like leaps. And yeah. they've only taken a small step. But the outcome, a bit like a bit like going dropping on a ladder on snakes and ladders will shoot them right forward. Yeah. So it's it's a different way of thinking of that because I've heard people talk about the 1%. And like people like James Altitude have mentioned it in the past. And I've always yep. I've always seen it as like this one thing you try and increase by one percent, but this is actually much more revolutionary, isn't it? Because yeah, you're like you say, taking the transistor apart. Yeah, exactly. I'm parts. just looking at absolutely every little thing. So if you think about it in terms of a business, well, let's start at the very beginning. Let's say you do Google ads. And right. so right, okay, how can I improve the click-through rate? of my Google ads by 1%. 
how can I reduce the amount of negative or sorry, increase the amount of negative keywords I get so I'm not getting irrelevant traffic by 1%? How can I reduce my cost per clicks by 1%? How can I make my ad copy 1% better? They're not even on your website yet. And we've done four or five of these yeah. little games. Yeah. Get them to the website. How do we get them to you know join your email list? I mean, literally 1% more people doing that. Oh, let's also improve your SEO by 1%. Let's get 1% more traffic coming in for free from Google. Yeah. Once they're on your email list, let's get 1% of them opening more emails. Let's get 1% of them uh, engaging with their emails more. Let's get your number of replies by 1%. Let's increase the number of clicks from an email to a sales page by 1%. Yeah. Finally, they're on your sales page. <laughs> now, let's get them more, you know, 1% of people to stick around and read the web page a bit longer. Then let's get 1% of them to add to basket. Then let's increase the prices by 1%. Then let's increase the margin by 1%. Then the conversion rate by 1%. Then the retention rate by 1%. Before you know it, you've stacked all these things up. And all we've done is sold one thing to one customer. But we've increased absolutely, absolutely everything. And this is now where I spend most of my time is kind of optimizing these websites. And honestly, it's... I call it 1% gains, but we've got a test running at the moment and we've increased the conversion rate of our website by 27%. Yeah. Uh, It's like a football player improving every single player in the team. Yeah. And they won't just get a little bit better. They'll get a lot better if you improve every single player in the team. It's just that you're, as an individual, you are a team because you, you, you are consistent of these many different component parts and you can yeah. increase each of those by a tiny amount it is have you ever seen the film Moneyball with brad pitt i've not seen it no strangely uh, enough and i'm a sports yeah. fan but yeah <laughs> it's a perfect analogy but it's obviously it's american i, th- I think it's baseball i think it's um, pretty famous i think a lot of people will have, yeah, yeah yeah so so, so share many many years ago but it is <clears> that exactly that it's they yeah. managed to take a bunch of also rounds you know c-list stars and meld them into a team because they fit the system and they could work out companions. Okay, well, let's get this guy who actually, you know, let's look at his stats. Well, his batting average is higher than that. Well, it, only in, on courses like this, or we'll put him in that situation. Yeah. And then stack it up and it compounded everything on top of each other. And this is now, even our local football club have a data scientist that wow. they're using analytics to evaluate and basically play football manager with players and say, how do we optimize players rather than the old way of doing things, which is writing a big check for several million pounds. How do we get a player who is worth a couple of million for 20 quid and a packet of Doritos, (laughs) (laughs) which is about our budget down here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so those people who are thinking, could I actually do that? Your message is as long as you can make the tiniest of increments, like yeah. if you can break things down to their component parts, even if you, it's not an exact science, yeah, and just increase each of those by the tiniest amount. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, and you can apply this says, to life as well, John, can't you? Not just business. Absolutely. Absolutely. And any, any, I, I would challenge anybody, particularly any business owner, any business owner listening to this. Honestly, now, answer this question honestly. Think about every little thing that you do 
in your business and every little thing that everybody within your business does and every process you have, can you honestly say hand on heart that there is not one thing in that whole ecosystem that could be a little bit better? Because most business owners, if I asked them that question, would immediately tell me the first 78 things that are wrong with their business and that they could fix if only they had the time and the inclination. So write them down, capture them. I've literally, I've got a folder here full of all the stuff, yeah, all the 1% gains that I want to make in my business. And they're there. It's, I've not got time to work through them, but work through them I do because I make time. And when I do, I take out the first item on that list because I've triaged it. It's all in order of biggest bang for my buck, lowest hanging fruit first. Okay. So I know the first one I pick out is probably not going to be a 1% gain. It's probably going to be a 5 or 6% gain. So this is a tiny, tiny engineering task then is what you're saying. It is. I think we're all, we all need to be engineers in our business. We need to, we need to picture the machine that is our business. Yeah. So I said just now about the Google ads and thinking about, right, okay, I'm going to optimize this, this, and this, then they're going to land on this cog here. And I'm going to take that cog out and I'm going to just spray a bit of WD 40 on it. And I'm going to clean some of the (laughs) dirt out and the grit I'm going to put that back and, oh, this bit needs replacing. I'm going to chuck that out. Oh, that actually, we've got a new titanium steel bit I could plug in here now. And oh, why, do, why have we even got this bit? Who, who knows what this does? No, nobody, right? That's gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and like the guy taking apart the transistor radio, by the time we're finished, we're like, oh, that sounds really nice. And I've got all these spare parts here that I don't need. <laughs> I like that analogy. It's a very clear way of thinking about it. Mm. Just as we're coming to the end, John, I, I wanted to touch briefly about one of the things in your book, because you're talking in, in your book, Big Ideas for Small Businesses, you're talking about five magic things. And one of those is desire. Yes. And when I was rereading that again recently, I was thinking, I wonder what place fear, because I know you talk about fear later on in the book as well. Mm. I wonder if you could talk about the interplay, because I think fear is a very powerful barrier for people, isn't it? You know, mm. a lot of the time people don't move forward for actually a very good reason. And I know yeah. people who see me in therapy, that there's a change that they want and they're finding it difficult to make it because there's a kind of fear there that if they do, there's a negative consequence that might come up. How, yeah. how have you managed that? And how are the people that you mentor managing fear when it comes to business and life, I suppose? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's there is a a fine line between desire and fear because often I know, you know, Tony Robbins will talk about, you know, pain and pleasure being the two things that will cause desire. You either want to gain something pleasurable or you want to avoid some pain. Um, It's the reason there's a picture of me on my fridge door when I was five stone heavier, it's still there now to remind me and to create that desire because sometimes I desire to be slim and to uh, look good with my shirt off. And sometimes I desire cookies and chocolate brownies and the nice things that are in the fridge. Yes. And I need to strike that balance. So when I look at the photo and the guy that's in the mirror starts to look a bit like the guy that's in the photo, I need to ease off the cookies and the brownies and the cake. Right. When it's not on, I can go. But yeah, I think in terms of fear, a lot of it is truly is that mindset and that belief i think that you mentioned earlier that i can do things that are scary and maybe that's you know i have enough bravery 
to do this that maybe that is the mantra that people would need to have you know to say yes there may be if i do this there may be a fear of rejection or you know things could go wrong and i'm okay with that and how did you get over it because there was i'm i'm hearing in your early story there was a there was a lot of fear there wasn't there mm. there was like you had this gold, it was almost part of your identity that you were casting off. You had the fear yeah. of Peter Jones, you know, imaginary sneering at you. Yeah. So there's a, there was a lot tied up with that. And, you know, you were changing path and, you know, what was what was the impact going to be in terms of your finances from changing path? Could you actually pull it off? How did you overcome that pivot? Because I'm guessing there was some sort of anxiety and fear around it, was there? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm wondering now whether I've replaced one fear with another because i then have the fear of who are you well i'm your father um you know i, I used to be this this guy who you know I, you, you know me I, I have a look at my linkedin profile if you want to find out a bit about me <laughs> yeah and, and it's that fear it was the fear of being judged by my peers or by you know the business community and then that was replaced by the fear of my children not knowing who i was or not wow. being there for them and that that fear was greater and more real and more close to home than Peter Jones looking down his nose at me. Peter Jones would still look down his nose at me. Uh, or maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. I don't, I've never met the guy. I, I honestly can't dress <laughs> Well, up. he's I'm very tall, deep. so it's very possible. He'd definitely be looking down at me, that's for sure. <laughs> but yeah, It's been, it's been lovely on. talking to you, John, and I'm, I'm really grateful for your time as well. Where can people find you? Cool. So my website is the is the best way to bigidea.co.uk. Um, I've got links to everything on there. There's kind of a um, couple of free chapters of both books, Big Ideas for Small Businesses and Routine Machine. Uh, there's links to my podcast. You can get a weekly uh, update from me with kind of a new mini chapter every week. So yeah, head over to the website, bigidea.co.uk. And just to say as well, Routine Machine. I mean, I, I spoke mainly about the first book, but mm. you know, I'm 260 odd episodes in and that's that's in no small measure down to many of the ideas within your book routine machine like i've, oh, I, I've kind of become one where the podcast is is concerned so thanks for that as well oh, so big really uk. absolutely yeah. that's brilliant brilliant to hear out alan it really is um you know i love because I, I i get a lot of people that message me and say oh, i've read the book it's great you know it's really inspirational blah 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 oh lovely what, what have you done yeah what, what do you mean what have i done well, what have you changed as it was you know it's lovely that you read the book and you enjoyed it um i'm in this line obviously i used in in routine machine don't just read the book but follow the instructions and to hear that you've been doing that and i'm i i love hearing stories like this where people yeah. say oh yeah i read this book uh it was great and go yeah yeah oh and as a result of that i've done 200 odd po- podcast episodes brilliant oh as a result <laughs> i've launched this new business oh fantastic that's what i want to hear yeah you know i don't want to hear you're in this to make a contribution, aren't you? And and so that that kind of to hear that back is is a way of knowing that you've done that. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's almost a legacy thing, you know. Um, yeah. Kind of it is that way of giving back. So we we exited our main business in 2016, wanted to help other business owners, and we said, well, how do we do that? Okay, well, let's write books, let's have a podcast, let's have yeah. a coaching group. Um, started around my kitchen table with six people till we ran out of chairs and then uh, we've expanded it. I think we're up to 80, 85 people um, oh, wow. in the group now. And it's just, it's just really good. So I've loved, it's a weird thing to say, but I've loved 2020 because we've been able to help people and we've really had an impact. Those 
eight on five people, yeah. we've just been able to just grab, you know, arm around the shoulder or kick up the ass, whatever they need and get them through it. And yeah. we've genuinely made a difference there. And that's, that's what I'm happy about more than anything else. So what's your kind of final word then to, to close the episode, John? What, what's the kind of thing that you might leave us with? Well, I think that there's a, there's a kind of topic we've kept coming back to, and it is this belief. And it's what you believe is kind of true for you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the listeners with a, with a Henry Ford quote that everyone's heard and everyone can quote. If you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Thanks very much, John. It's been lovely having you on the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Alan. I've really enjoyed it. Now, because that podcast was just jam-packed of great stuff from John, what I've done is I've put a resource together called Six Tips for Stress-Free Success based on all the things that John mentioned in that podcast. So you can simply go to a sliceoftherapy.com forward slash John, that's J-O-H-N, that's a sliceoftherapy.com forward slash John, and that download will be waiting for you. Six tips for stress-free success, and that's at a sliceoftherapy.com forward slash John. If you found this episode useful, please do share it so other people can get the benefits as well. If you'd like to work with me directly, I'm Alan Parry, and you can find more about me at liverpoolpsychotherapy.co.uk. And of course, you don't have to be local to me because I work online, so you can be based absolutely anywhere. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast as well because it's absolutely free and it means that you'll never miss an episode again. So thanks for listening. And I'll see you again on the next one.